Welcome back to the Venari podcast. I'm Gov Candola. And for this episode, we're joined by Joshua Shank. Joshua is a managing principal uh, at InfraStrategies for a global advisory firm and was a former chief innovation officer at LA Metro. And I believe the first chief innovation officer uh, with the business uh, where he was responsible for fostering innovation uh, across mobility, equity uh, and environment, well, environmental outcomes um, throughout LA County. Yeah, that was a fun job and an exciting opportunity. Uh, we got a lot of stuff done. It's great to have you on because it's a very pertinent episode. Um, and we're going to be discussing the concept of free transit, um, you know, what it is, the ideas behind the concept, and if it is a viable option for agencies globally as well. Um, now, Joshua, we've seen obviously free transit gaining a lot of traction over the past couple of years. Um, you know, I believe 100 cities uh, globally have some form of free transport. Um, Back in 2020, Luxembourg was the first country to, I believe, have free public transport across all modes. Now, from your opinion, in regards to free transit as a concept, why is it so important? Well, the thing about public transit, especially in the United States, is that it tends to be the only method of transportation available for some of the people in society who have been left behind the most, right? So some of the most low income, uh, people in society, uh, people who have disabilities, uh, people who have no access to a car and therefore must rely on public transit. And when you look at that group and you think, okay, here's a group of people who really need mobility. Why are we asking them to be the funders of this transportation system that not only helps them, but helps the rest of society too by removing vehicles from the road, by reducing emissions, um, by creating a potentially more equitable society. So the idea is when you look at some of the revenues coming in from public transit fares uh, versus the benefits that are created by allowing more people to ride and making it more affordable, there's a question that arises that says, well, why are we charging the lowest income members of society uh, every time they get on a train or bus, but yet we're not charging drivers uh, every time they get on a road? Uh, and that's an interesting uh, way that our society has been set up, and it, it's worth re-examination. Yeah, it certainly is. And one of the ideas that have been suggested is off-peak fareless transit. Um, now, how would this work, uh, and what are some of the challenges facing this concept as well? Yeah, so the thing about going completely free is that it does present a challenge from a revenue perspective just in the real world for many transit agencies, especially places like London or, or New York where you've got very high ridership um, across all income levels. And if you did lose that revenue, you have to replace it with something. So it becomes a real issue. The nice thing about off-peak fares is that it actually costs transit agencies a lot less to run service in the off-peak. Transit is built to serve the peak travel time. That's why you need all those buses and trains. That's why you need all those operators. That's why you need all the fuel, everything that is a cost for transit agencies is the highest cost during the peak. But in off-peak, you've got a lot of these vehicles that are going to be sitting around doing nothing if you don't use them. So you may as well put them to use and attract more people to the off-peak by charging a reduced fare or a free fare uh, during off-peak. And the other benefit is that you have an opportunity to uh, allow more uh, off-peak trips, particularly among low-income people who tend to travel more in the off-peak. 
um, and who tend to rely on public transit for more than just work trips, which are more likely to occur in the off-peak. You know, most trips in cities are actually not peak trips, uh, but they are spread out over lots of different time periods, and they're often taken by lower-income people. So off-peak transit is a great way to reduce some of the economic burden for low-income riders without imposing tremendously higher costs on the transit agency. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Off-peak travel is so important, especially for individuals who are more likely to trip chain, um, you know, and have responsibilities outside of the standard nine to five. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think what we're starting to realize in a lot of society is that we designed many of our systems for a societal structure that existed many years ago, but doesn't necessarily exist today, right? And that the pandemic only exacerbated that. It used to be uh, you know, the idea of, uh, of, of the, the male in the household is commuting by transit at peak times and coming home, like that's been gone for some time. The, the pandemic just exposed it. And it's even more true now. Uh, the reality is that people have much more complicated and varied lives than simply getting on the, in peak time and, and going to work. And transit needs to adjust to accommodate that. Yep. And I was going to ask, what other concepts could be utilized to help provide well, and fund free transit? Most of our transportation system, especially in the U.S., but really around the world, is dependent on gasoline-powered vehicles. And gasoline-powered vehicles not only pollute, but they also uh, take up a tremendous amount of space in our urban uh, areas. So they demand space for parking. They demand space for driving. You have to house them. All this space is devoted to, to these vehicles, largely, at least in the U.S., without any kind of major payment. Um, on behalf of the users. So for example, in the United States, you can drive on virtually any road uh, in the United States with a car and very, very rarely will you have to pay any kind of toll. And if you do have to pay a toll, it's probably not accounting for all of the damage that car is causing, plus the environmental damage, plus the, the fact that you are taking up space and causing other people to let. So if you start charging people the true cost of driving, and then you take that money and you reinvest it in the types of public transit that is most helpful to society, including potentially free transit, I think that's a win-win, right? Because we have an increasingly inequitable society in the United States. Um, incomes keep diverging. The richer are, are getting richer at a higher rate. And meanwhile, the person driving a uh, Mercedes in the middle of the street at the peak hour uh, pays the same as the bus that's carrying 50 low-income people at that same time. And that just doesn't make any sense. So a much more reasonable structure would be to use congestion pricing like has been done in London and Singapore and Stockholm and where New York is considering it and take the revenues from congestion pricing on the roads and invest them in public transit, potentially in free fares, but not limited to free fares, um, so that people have more options and that low-income people are not uh, forced to have the burden of paying for that transit system all by themselves. Yeah, well, look at the deterrent it causes within London, you know, for people traveling in, um, you know, readers put people off. I know New York was looking at that congestion pricing piece. Obviously, it's a uh, had a few hurdles uh, recently there to jump over, as Jan Oliva described uh, in that uh, federal assessment. Um, but yeah, look, there's, there's so many other concepts um, that I suppose could be brought up as well. Um, it'll be interesting also to have you discuss those maybe in a bit more detail when it comes to universal mobility schemes. Do you mind just giving us some further insight to what that is? Yeah, sure. I mean, the general concept is that 
everyone in society is entitled to some basic level of mobility, right? And right now, we're not doing a great job of providing that. Many transit systems in the U.S. are inadequate modes of transportation compared to uh, driving. Uh, and that means that the lowest income members of society have the worst access to not only jobs, but other activities in their lives. It takes them longer to do everything, and that creates an additional burden on them. So it it perpetuates inequity. So the concept of universal basic mobility is, can we provide a certain level of mobility that is more acceptable for everyone in society? So that if you don't have access to a car, at least you have access to more than just public transit. So what do I mean by that? So that includes maybe that sometimes you're gonna to need to use Uber or Lyft, right? And that will get you where you need to go faster. Maybe sometimes you're gonna use bike share or scooter share. Uh, maybe you're even going to think, the best way for me to get around is to purchase an e-bike. Those things may be unaffordable for lots of low-income people. Under universal basic mobility, you provide a certain amount of mobility cash to low-income people to use as they see fit, including potentially on public transit, but not limited to public transit. And the technology we have today allows you to do that pretty easily. Uh, if you have an application that can uh, put you on any one of those modes, and you have an ability to have the government push money into that application for low-income people, you're pretty much there. So that's why it's become something that's more attractive and more feasible in, uh, in modern society, because we're looking at, um, at the, the world and seeing that public transit is often necessary but insufficient as far as providing the level of mobility people need. And now there's a way to provide much greater mobility to low-income people. Perfect. Joshua, thank you again for sharing your insights. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.